my name is Minerva Clements Behar, and um, today's reading comes from the book of Ruth, chapter 3. Please, let us stand for the reading of God's word. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well protected, provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, perfume, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another one who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him do, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, 
bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed a bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. That is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. I think uh, Minerva has let me know that she's available to read any portion of the Bible for you, and it will come alive. Thank you so much. Thank you, Minerva. Well, good morning. Today we continue in our series from the book of Ruth, a series that we have titled, Things Just Don't Happen. In this gripping text, the entire book of Ruth, but in the gripping text this morning, we see time again in the book of Ruth, real life drama with real-life decisions that must be made for survival. We also get a glimpse of how God works and sets his people up for the kinds of decisions that they are going to need to make. And we see these demonstrations, as Jeremy has already alluded to, these demonstrations throughout the book of Ruth of this said. That in the book of Ruth, we see time and time again this, this kindness, this word said that captures the many attributes of God his kindness, his faithfulness, his grace, his mercy, his love, his loyalty. And throughout all, we see that things just don't happen. And today will be no different as we look into chapter 3. Because in chapter 3, we read about this amazing encounter between Ruth and Boaz. And to give it away for you for next week, if you don't know, the encounter we have just listened to will eventually lead to marriage. I've been thinking a lot about the encounters that lead to marriage and thinking this past week. Uh, my wife was in Lebanon with a group of people from this church for the last 10 days. I've been very reflective of how lucky I am uh, when she is here and how difficult it is when she's not here. Uh, so many of you asked, how are we doing? And the boys and how did we do? And I said, as long as there's Panera, we're fine. Um, <laughs> I came to Lake Avenue Church in 1999 to work in the junior high ministry. The summer before I came to Lake, um, I worked at Forest Home, where Jenny and I worked together on the middle school staff up at Forest Home at Lost Creek Ranch. And uh, so I moved to Pasadena, and when I met Jenny that summer of, summer of 1999, I knew immediately, one, that there was an incredible, beautiful woman that I got to work with all summer, and the other thing I knew for sure is that she's incredibly out of my league. And so I moved to Pasadena. She's in her senior year at UCLA. By the way, congratulations, Trojans. Good job. Um, but the real, the real game's today, one o'clock, water polo. Just want you to know that. Um, <laughs> go Bruins. Um, she's in her senior year at UCLA. I've moved to Pasadena. I found any excuse in the world to be near Westwood. Any excuse. And back in the day where you had to call on the phone, I would call and say, I'm in the neighborhood. There was, there's no neighborhood I was really going to. I just wanted to see her. And throughout her senior year, I just found myself occasionally out there. We'd go grab a cup of coffee, go to a movie, and we had a great friendship. 
Some way through her middle of her senior year, I knew her plan was to move to Pasadena after she graduated. She's gonna go to Azusa Pacific University, get her teaching credential, master's degree. I thought this is amazing. Number one, my commute has just shortened completely. <laughs> and this person that clearly I am somewhat into but totally intimidated by, is coming close to town. So she moves here in the fall of 2000 and right around October, or late September, I can't remember. She's moved in, she's settled in, my friend Jenny, and I call her and I say, hey, this afternoon, um, there's a flag football game up at Pasadena Christian School. Would you like to go with me? Really romantic, I know, but I was working with junior high kids and I thought what I would do is pick her up, we'd go watch a little flag football, and then the evening would just kind of morph into grabbing a bite to eat and hang out and I'll take as many minutes as I can get with her. And she says, yes, I'll go to the flag football game. So I think, great, it's perfect. Again, I shared nothing about the plans after the football game. I pick her up, we go to the flag football game, about halfway through the game, she starts letting me know she needs to get back soon. I start trying to press her, why do you need to get back? And she's being very vague, and eventually I got it out of her that she needed to get back because she needed to get ready because she had a date that night. <laughs> exactly, how unfair. <laughs> so I start, I start pressing her. I go, well, who is it? And do you like the person? Turns out it was the junior high pastor at Evie Fullerton. I have never liked that church. Um, <laughs> And essentially, in this discussion with my friend Jenny, she, and as you know her, she said something that, that I remember, and it, it woke me up. She said, look, Jeff, tonight I am going on a date because a man has asked me to go on a date, and you and I are at a middle school flag football game. <laughs> I got the point. So I drive her home, and as she gets out of the car, I say, I would like to take you on a date one week from tonight. And she said, yes didn't eat for a week, lost like 10 pounds. <laughs> so a week later, I pick her up for a date. As we go to the restaurant we're gonna have a date at, I look across the restaurant, my boss at the time, John Wilson, who was a pastor here, and his wife happened to be, happened to be in the same restaurant, and they invite themselves to sit with us during dinner. <laughs> this date is going really well, right? So we have this dinner with John and Betsy all of a sudden, and. I'm in the bathroom of the restaurant, it's in Old Town, the restaurant's not there anymore, it was called La Luna Negra. I'm in the bathroom, and I pray this prayer, Lord, I got to sit and talk to Jenny tonight somehow. It's great that we got to know John and Betsy better, but I got to talk to her. So sure enough, we leave the restaurant, we walk around, and we end up in that one Paseo, or one Colorado area by Crate and Barrel and El Fernayo in that courtyard, and there's an empty table. And I say, Jenny, can you sit down? I I'd like to talk about something. And we sit down, and literally my first words out of my mouth were, I'm gonna talk for about 30 minutes and I'm gonna ask that you not interrupt me. <laughs> I go on to share with her the first time I saw her, what I think is brilliant about her, my confession that she's completely out of my league, there were some dynamics that I've already figured out to solve that were gonna be just fine. And about minute 28 of 30 minutes, I say something like this. So I want to date you, and you know I'm not built for casual, and I want you to know that if we begin to date, I have every intention of marrying you. Yeah, I don't recommend it, but it totally worked. Um, <laughs> so minute 28, I'm telling Jenny that, her arms are crossed, she looks down, and I'm like, oh, this is not good, and I finish, minute 30, I go, the end, done. And she says, I I'm not quite sure how you want me to respond, and I said, look, I believe with a woman like you and a person like me, 
I'm either an option or I'm not. I don't think I'm going to grow on you. Um, so I'd like to know green light or red light. And if it's a red light, it's fine. I'll start eating again and I'll figure out how to survive. <laughs> oh, so good. And so, uh, so she says, she goes, she goes, green light, um, green light. I think you're great, but we're going to calm down a little bit. <laughs> and I left the interaction thinking we were engaged. So. That was 17 years ago. 17 years ago, we had that conversation. Oh, yeah, she's great. Right, but here's the point. Here's the point. Uh, a week before this date, my plan was that things were just going to happen. My plan, pick up my friend, go to Pasadena Christian School and watch flag football, and what would end up happening, we'd just eventually get some more minutes with each other, and eventually we would just spend, spend a nice evening together. I didn't pick her up thinking we were going to begin dating in the next week, but I picked her up thinking this relationship, if it's going to happen, it's just going to happen naturally. But it didn't work that way. And as much as I wanted things to just happen, our relationship depended on honesty, um, a high level of risk, um, and it depended on respect. And in chapter 3 of the book of Ruth, we see this same kind of interaction. An interaction that is incredibly risky, an interaction that requires incredible honesty, an interaction that is loaded with what we're calling unwavering integrity. Unwavering integrity from two very unlikely people. Two people in very unlikely environment. Remember Ruth, our widow, immigrant woman, and Boaz, our uh, our, our uh, Israelite landowner. These two things don't go together. And especially they don't go together in the environment they were in. Ruth chapter 3 begins with Naomi sharing an idea with Ruth. Verse 1 says, um, one day. We have some time that has elapsed between chapter 2 and chapter 3. We end chapter 2 with Ruth and Naomi having plenty Ruth having gone out into the field, Boaz is protecting and providing, and we leave chapter two with, the, with these women having some, 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 some um, ha having food, and they're good to go. One day, now we have Naomi, a little transition, we don't know how much time has gone by, but everything would indicate that the state of fullness that they had at the end of chapter two, that, that stash has come down. They're not as uh, provided for. It might be a little empty, essentially what I read Naomi saying here, is this way of living where we go from having to not having, this is really hard for you, Ruth. It's hard for me. We've got to find a way for this to even out. We need to find somebody who will redeem our family so that we don't have to keep going from having and not having. And so here's what we're going to do. And her idea is this, to get dressed up, to smell really good, and then go visit Boaz on what would be the equivalent of an out-of-town business trip. And don't just visit him on this out-of-town business trip. Uh, visit him in the middle of the night when he's sleeping, after he's had a lot to eat, after he's worked all day, and after he's had something to drink. And by drink, it means drink, drink. This isn't like Gatorade. This is a very unconventional uh, dating advice. I was a youth pastor here a lot of years. I promise you, I never talked to any high school students and said, here's how I think you should go find somebody. Sneak in their room in the middle of the night, make sure they've had something. Okay. <laughs> this is not an innocent environment. This is not an innocent environment. 
This is scandalous. This is scandalous to those who would have heard it for the first time. And when we understand what is happening and the real context of this whole threshing floor, it's scandalous to us. The clothes, the advice for her to put on new clothes, her best clothes, everything would indicate in chapter two when Boaz and Ruth met for the first time, Ruth was still wearing clothes at that time. You had had a way to distinguish yourself as someone who was in mourning. You wore a certain outfit showing the world that you're in mourning because you've lost your husband. So this advice to put on new clothes isn't just to go get a nice outfit. There's something deeper happening here. That Ruth's time of mourning is over. And by putting on her best clothes, this new outfit, to symbolize that she's no longer, that she's free from mourning her husband, that period has been over. The threshing floor, right? The, 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 the crop has been picked. It has, and now it's the next moment. We are going to separate the grain. And, and what happens in that, there's about five, six days after it's picked where the threshing floor, you work long hours, you work really hard, you do it while you can, you don't go home at night, you, you, you stay there and sleep and maximize your time. It's six, seven days of intense work. The threshing floor had the landowner and the workers present doing super long hours for the short amount of time. It's where the work happened, hard work, long work. And at night, because you didn't go home, there would be some distance between wherever the landowner slept and where the servant slept. And so when we find Boaz sleeping, chances are there was a good amount of distance between where Boaz was sleeping as the landowner, as the person with, with, um, with, with the title, with the, with the influence, and his servants and his workers. That distance and isolation between Boaz and everyone else adds to the scandalous environment. Chances are nobody would know what's happening. Nobody overheard this. What's the point? The point was this was a charged environment. But it wasn't just a charged environment. It was an incredibly dangerous environment for Ruth. Remember that from last week? For this widow, immigrant woman to go to the field to travel alone, to do that kind of work, to be exposed, incredibly risky, incredibly unsafe. This continues in chapter three when we find Ruth on this mission that Naomi Naomi has put her on. It's an incredibly dangerous environment for her. Her physical safety was not assured. What Naomi was asking her to do was not common. It wasn't easy. And I believe that Naomi and Ruth knew exactly the risk that was involved. So Ruth, after hearing this plan from Naomi, responds to her mother-in-law by saying, I will do whatever you say. Ruth follows Naomi's plan to a point. She uncovers Boaz's feet, he wakes up, and now she veers from the plan a little bit. If you remember, her instruction was, you'll go there and do whatever he says. What we end up seeing is when he wakes up, she actually initiates a conversation. But for a moment, uncovering feet. A lot of people have read this, and there are a lot of people who would argue that this uncovering feet means something more than uncovering feet. In fact, you can read in Song of Songs, there's a line somewhere in there that talks about one lover uncovering the feet of another, and in that context, it might mean more than just uncovering feet. 
and some people read this as, as sexual initiation from Ruth towards Boaz, that she went there with the instruction from her mother-in-law to sexually initiate intimacy with Boaz. And I will tell you and I will argue after a lot of studying, and last weekend I had the great privilege of being about 11 messianic Jewish rabbis, and I asked them, talk to me about Ruth 3. I would put forth that in Ruth 3, feet means feet, Okay? feet to uncover them, to wake them, Boaz up in the cool of the night. Some of you woke up last night because it got a little chilly. That the plan for Ruth with Boaz wasn't to sexually initiate with him. It was for him to wake up and for this discussion to be had. But don't get me wrong. It's an incredibly intimate environment. And we see that intimacy throughout. And we know that it's a charged environment. We know that when Ruth veers from the plan... frames the conversation for Boaz, we know from this lengthy speech in chapter three that Boaz is super into this. He likes this idea. At minimum, Ruth is, at, when we, what does it mean to spread the, 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 gar, the corner of your garment over? Everybody's ever been to a Jewish wedding? You know that tradition that when a husband and wife come together, the, the garment the, that comes over them is symbolizing. So at minimum, Ruth is asking Boaz to fulfill his obligation as a family member to redeem Naomi and her so they won't be on their own anymore. At maximum, she might be, even be proposing marriage to Boaz. So he wakes up in the middle of the night, Boaz responds, he is so into this. I will do whatever you say, absolutely. I can't believe you haven't gone for the, other, the, the younger guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, here's the problem. There's a couple hurdles here. One, there's actually a relative in front of me, and so we've got to deal with that. Chapter four, he deals with it brilliantly. I mean, brilliant. if you need dating advice, look at chapter four. <laughs> but he also has this other problem, the scandalous environment. It's the middle of the night. She is there. How are we going to get you out of here without your reputation or my reputation being compromised? So Boaz responds with great excitement and energy. I think that started in chapter 2. We read in chapter 2. When he saw Ruth, he saw this is, this is an incredible woman. This is a woman whose faith, her said, her, her integrity, her, her, who she is, this is completely attractive. I love that he takes care of her as, as a good Jewish man should have at that time. But at the end of the day, he's also a man. And I read in chapter two, this taken by her. And so now she shows up in the middle of the night and he's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Ruth is here. This is, this is wife material. It's charged, it's intimate, it's incredible. He instructs her to stay, to, to stay the night. And then in the morning, before it gets too light, probably it's not safe for you to go back right now. Stay here and then we'll wake up a little early. And before anybody can recognize you, you can slip out and get home. And then I will get on to solving the problems so that we can, I can fulfill your request. She goes home. She has a conversation with, um, with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And she goes home with six measures of barley. Basically, Boaz saying, let your mother-in-law know I'm serious. Let her know, I've heard you loud and clear. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. There's the Jeff Matisich overview of chapter three. And as I have been thinking about this chapter, I got to admit to you a tendency that I feel, and I'm sure you do too, that you can read chapter three and really minimize Ruth in this story. I mean, Naomi begins the chapter, she ends the chapter. Boaz has a pretty lengthy section in the middle. Ruth doesn't have a ton of words. 
But I would argue that chapter three, if we were to pick a hero of the chapter, if we were to go, who's the one in this chapter we want to look at and see what obedience looks like and what can we learn from the, if we had to pick a character, I, I would, I, I'm going after Ruth. In fact, you know, the book is called Ruth. It's not called the book of Boaz. It's not called the book of Naomi. And I think Ruth is a, a well-deserved hero for us today. I think she's incredibly an unexpected hero, a hero being defined as a person who is admired for their courage, their outstanding achievements, their noble qualities. We're drawn to heroes, and this morning I'm going to invite all of us to be drawn to Ruth for a little bit and see what we can learn from her as we see how she lived herself. Got four observations about her. First one is this. Ruth has this incredible commitment to family. Chapter one, we see this, when she refuses to leave her mother-in-law. Chapter two, when she goes and risks to go in the environment to provide for her and her mother-in-law. And again in chapter three, her commitment to her mother-in-law, her commitment to family shines through this narrative. One way that scholars think about the book of Ruth, I believe Greg has said this, is that in the book of Ruth, you see these movements from emptiness to fullness, emptiness to fullness. And when you read Ruth and you see these movements when Naomi and her are empty and they move to places of fullness, Ruth has a pivotal part in that moment. It's Ruth's, Ruth's actions, Ruth's commitment to put herself in some intense environments that help shape the movement from empty to full. Naomi has a plan for Ruth, is not an easy one, it's a risky one, and Ruth demonstrates her commitment to Naomi when she says, I will do whatever you say. Ruth remains when it would have been easier and safer to leave. I encourage you to not fall into a trap of thinking that Ruth is some docile or unaware woman who will do whatever her mother-in-law says. That's not who she is. Remember chapter one? She could have got out if she wanted to. She spoke up to Naomi. No, nope, not leaving. Ruth is a strong woman with an incredible commitment to her family. It's worth noting. Second thing we see in Ruth is courage and obedience. We have another chapter of Ruth and another incredibly dangerous environment for Ruth, both as a woman, as an immigrant, as a widow. As I've gone over already, Naomi's instructions to Ruth were unconventional, to say the least. You got to know that the, you can fill in the blanks. It would not be uncommon at that time for women to visit the threshing floor on these five, six-day business work trips. Prostitution happened in this kind of environment. This was the very scene where sexual immorality took place. Ruth is risking being seen as a prostitute. Ruth is risking assault. Ruth is risking her reputation. Ruth is very aware of where she is going and what she is doing and the incredible risk, and Ruth demonstrates incredible courage in her obedience. I think of two words when I think of Ruth throughout the book of Ruth, unsafe and uncertain, time and time again. Ruth puts herself in an unsafe environment with uncertain outcomes because she is a courageous woman. Ruth is the model of courage. In the face of the pot of potential for violence, in the face of the potential for her character to be um, changed, by her reputation to be shifted, Ruth displays courage in her obedience to God and in her obedience to her mother-in-law. 
Number three, so we've got commitment to family, courage and obedience. Number three, Ruth is full of wisdom and strength in her faith. Don't get me wrong, I think Boaz is incredible. In fact, if I was gonna have another child and it was a boy, Boaz would be in the running right now for a name. He is a really great guy. And he does, time and time again, makes amazing choices that I wanna emulate. But if we don't look carefully, we can elevate Boaz and minimize Ruth in such a way where we miss something profound that is happening in verse nine in chapter three, it's just profound. In, in chapter two, right, Boaz meets Ruth, he's taken by her, he vows his protection for her, his provision for her. In, in chapter two, this is what he says, this is how much he's into her. Boaz replied, I, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. And then he puts this blessing on Ruth. Verse 12, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you richly be rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz prays a prayer for her to find refuge under the wings of the Lord. In verse nine, Ruth veers from the script from Naomi, initiates the conversation and says this, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment. You could translate that, your wings. Spread your corner of your garment over me since you are the family guardian. Essentially what Ruth does is say, Boaz, remember that prayer you prayed? You can be the answer to that prayer. God is gonna use you to answer your prayer for me. That same kind of wing, refuge, cover, redemption, is the same thing she's doing in verse nine to Boaz, initiating the conversation strong, wise. Says to Boaz, we can move into something, I can, this, can't, this doesn't need to remain a prayer, this prayer can be answered. When I tell my story of how I met Jenny so oftentimes, and I tell this when I speak at conferences because it always gets the kind of reaction you gave. I have people come up to me, that was so gutsy. Minute 28, I can't believe you did that on your first date. I mean, you told her you wanted to marry her, well, you are, you're so brave, I can't believe you did that. And I said, yeah, but there's no minute 28 without men take men on dates and we're at a flag football game. Jenny's wisdom and her strength and her risk moved me into action. I guarantee you the plan wasn't to take her on a date a week later. Ruth does what wise and strong women do all the time. They are able to move people from prayer into action. Ruth is an incredibly wise and strong woman of God. And she is able in this verse nine, unconventional moment, to remind Boaz of his prayer and offer a solution for him to fulfill the prayer that he has prayed. This is not a secret to so many of us. So often, uh, not so often, there is, there is no real wisdom in me without my wife. She moves me from generic prayers to specific action all the time. And it's not just her. It's often so many unexpected people who don't fit the scenario, the mold of somebody who would have a wise and strong word, but God does this over and over again. And Ruth is our example of wisdom and strength who has the ability to move generic prayers to specific places of action. Finally, we see in Ruth and Boaz in this Chapter three, character and integrity consistently and this unwavering integrity. Let me remind you, this is an intimate environment. This is a sexually charged environment. There's potential for sin. 
under the cover of night. Nobody was going to know what happened regardless. And yet what could have been wasn't. It was still intimate. It was still vulnerable. There was still attraction. It was sacred. But in their mutual affection, connection with one another, their character prevailed. Their said was well on display. And the evidence of who Boaz and Ruth actually are as people won out over who they could have become that night. Ruth and Boaz demonstrate unwavering integrity. Ruth and Boaz show us that intimacy and integrity can live right next to each other. In a world that says intimacy means we compromise integrity, we have an example here in chapter 3 that intimacy and integrity can live side by side. And that is good news for some of us this morning. Ruth shows her integrity throughout this interaction, letting her hesed, her love for God, shape her identity and not her circumstances. And Boaz shows his integrity, that his attraction for, to Ruth, he shows character and patience and respect and obedience for Ruth, a needed thing for us today. Ruth can be a hero for us in this story. Her commitment to family, her courage and obedience, her wisdom and strength and her faith, and her unwavering integrity and character. Things don't just happen. Heroes just don't happen either. And we don't elevate Ruth to hold her up and say, we gotta be like Ruth, we wanna be like Jesus here. But there's so much about Ruth that demonstrates for us that an earthly life and obedience is possible. And so as I've been thinking about us this week, just a few more moments, the Lord has put a couple things on my heart for us that we could maybe think about or be moved to this week as a result of looking at Ruth. And the first one is this. What does commitment to family look like for you this week, this week of Thanksgiving? Some of you are gonna, this is like the best week of your year because your family's incredible and I'm so happy for you. Yet there are so many of us that this is a week that's going to be very difficult. Some of us are going to be difficult because we're going to be alone. It's not our year to have the kids and the grandkids. Some of you, this is the one time a year we're with crazy uncle, crazy aunt, and you're not looking forward to that. Ruth is someone who demonstrates that when she could have left because it was easier, she remained. Maybe the Lord has a word for you this morning. Say, no matter what it is for you this week of Thanksgiving, of family, of friends, what would it mean for you to show a commitment to your family? What does it look like to prepare for that time so that you can be gracious, so you can be kind, so that you can be ready for no surprises and be the someone who has incredible commitment? Some of you, maybe um, the commitment to family is more this church family. Next week, we have a service at 10 a.m. Um, and, and some of you, know, that's like, we just think four or five times a year, it's pretty good for a, a church like ours to get together in one space, to celebrate, to worship together, to, to be together. And some of us feel like those weekends, the parking's really hard and my normal thing doesn't happen. And it's a really easy weekend to not have a commitment. And I am encouraging you to show a commitment to this church family next weekend. That when it is at times easier to leave, to follow Ruth's example of commitment to family by remaining. Second thing, are there any unsafe environments with uncertain outcomes the Lord might be calling you to? 
My wife just got back from Lebanon. We're gonna hear stories next weekend about our ministry team that went to Lebanon. And I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna feel what I feel. And is that it's really easy to follow Jesus here. That what's happening with our brothers and sisters in the faith in Lebanon, the choices they make, the unsafety, the uncertainty that they face every minute of every day is not the kind of safety and certainty you and I face. In fact, I would argue that we spend a lot of our time, I do as a follower of Jesus in Southern California, I spend a lot of my time trying to ensure safety, trying to count all the risks so that nothing uncertain happens. And I've been convicted this week as I look at the life of Ruth as someone to, to, to strive and see her courage, that sometimes our attempts to control are cutting off our ability to obey. Luke 9, Jesus tells us, you want to follow me? You want to be identified as a follower of me? Here's the deal. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. There's nothing safe about that. There's nothing certain about that in the earthly sense. There's a certainty of his presence through the Holy Spirit. There's an assurance of salvation. But as we take up our cross and deny ourselves, there's a... There's a richness in obedience, and there's a courageousness in obedience. And I pray if the Lord might be calling you to some unsafe, uncertain environment, as we think about Ruth and see this woman time and time and time again in obedience, putting herself in very dangerous places and showing an incredible amount of courage, that that would move in us this week. So maybe that conversation with that relative about faith isn't as scary as it feels right now, that we would step into unsafe, step into uncertain. Third. Who is the Ruth-type voice in your life that is prompting you towards obedience? Who is prompting you towards action? Who are the Ruths in your life prompting you to a new level of obedience? Now, specifically about Ruth. Who are the unlikely people who are speaking truth to you? Who are the unexpected people who have this ability to discern what God is doing, who are wise, who are strong in the Lord? For me at Lake Avenue Church, I will give witness, been here a long time, and part of the reason I'm here, I'm, I'm a different person as being a part of this community. And I think back to so many relationships of people who are the literal Ruths for me. People who are part of our church but live in our neighborhood, who have their own immigrant story, who have their own widow story, and through relationship have helped prompt me to a new level of obedience because they are wise and they are strong. I love chapter two. I think there's something profound that happens between two and three. We heard very clearly last week, very clearly, that, that God's heart for, for someone like a widow immigrant, that as the people of God, we have a responsibility. But I love chapter three and the mutuality that we see in Ruth, because guess what? It's not just about some of us just helping protect some people and making sure they get, but in relationship, we find that the very people God has called us to do amazing things with and for the very people who speak truth into our lives and who are able to prompt us to a new level of obedience. If you have no Ruth voices in your life, I encourage you to find them. They're everywhere around here. And they are full of strength and they are full of wisdom. And when we allow them to speak and we allow them to shape our obedience to the Lord, goes up to a new level. And finally, how are you growing 
maybe an unwavering integrity? Who are you when nobody else is looking? Who are you under the veil of the evening? Who are you when you could get away with anything and nobody would know who, who shows up? I'm thinking a lot about our students this week and those of us in our community who are single. I, I look at this and I go, aren't we so glad for Ruth chapter three where we get this example that intimacy and integrity can live side by side, that you don't have to compromise, that you can be someone who admits uh, the attraction in, 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 in an environment that is charged and, and vulnerable, that you can obey the Lord in it. And you can experience intimacy and integrity at the same time. But married folks, we're not off the hook either. Because intimacy and integrity, that doesn't just happen once you're married. That's still a work we have to strive for. When Jenny left for 10 days, the Lord prompted me on day one of that day. I was walking around the house. I'm going, I'm not used to this. I'm the one who goes. And I'm so proud of her and so grateful she got to go. And the Lord prompted me to walk around the house literally with the sense of look around. And if there's anything in here, Jeff, anything in here that will cause temptation over the next 10 days, pick it up. And then I called a friend and I said, I got some stuff to swing by your house. You don't need Jenny's iPad here. That doesn't seem like a wise thing because I want to grow in my own integrity. Just because you follow Jesus, just because you're a pastor, just because you've been at Lake 40 years, doesn't mean you are growing in integrity. It is a process. And Ruth gives us a, a glimpse of what unwavering integrity looks like. I'll close with this. Last weekend, I had the great privilege through... Um, relationship. I was with a group of Messianic Jewish believers, and at the very end of the weekend, before I got on the plane, I was with these rabbis. I told them I was preaching on Ruth 3. I said, what do you got? And it was just this profound dumping of wisdom to me. But the rabbi of Temple Beth Yeshua in Philadelphia said to me, David Chernoff, as I was leaving, he said, you know, Ruth is the foreshadowing of one who will come. And I didn't have any chance to dialogue with him about that. And I got on the plane, sat in the airport, and thinking about it all week, and I think I've figured out. Because like Ruth, Jesus is going to come and show an incredible commitment to his family, an incredible commitment to his father. Jesus will come and go in unsafe places out of obedience. Jesus will come and he will spread his arms on a cross, and that under his wings, under his arms, redemption will live. Under his arm, Jew and Gentile, all peoples will be connected and gathered as one. Jesus will model that integrity and intimacy live side by side. Jesus will demonstrate this unwavering integrity to his purpose and mission to redeem everything. And so my prayer for you, my prayer for me this week, isn't that we see our hero, Ruth, and she is a worthy hero, and to strive to help our lives look like Ruth's, but that what we really see is that in Ruth, we get glimpses of Jesus and that we follow Jesus as our ultimate hero and that God would give us a widow, immigrant woman, praise God. Because I'm unlikely and you're unlikely. I'm undeserving, you're undeserving. And if Ruth can show courage, if Ruth can show commitment, if Ruth can be wise and strong in her faith, if Ruth can show integrity, it gives hope for people like you and me. Amen? Join me in prayer. God, thank you for 
this book of the Bible. Thank you for this journey that we are on. And God, I pray that this week, each one of us would seek to follow your son, Jesus Christ. God, that we would be people who would show an incredible commitment to our family this week, even when it would be safer and easier to leave, that you would help us remain. God, I pray for those in this room who the integrity is, uh, is tough right now. I pray that you would move us to a place of action in our lives. I pray, God, for, uh, for the needs that are present here. I pray that you would give Ruths to us to prompt us to new levels of obedience. God, I pray for courage for us as we seek to follow you in obedience. We love you, Jesus. We need your help. Amen.